From the Church of the Nazarene and Mesoamerica Genesis, you're listening to the Worthless Servants Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Worthless Servants Podcast. I am Scott Armstrong and we are at the end of the series that we have dedicated to church planting. It's probably not the last time we're going to ever talk about church planting, but before we continue on, I need to introduce who's in the room with me. To my left, AJ Fry. Hey, guys. Also to his left, Emily Armstrong. Hey, everyone. And then across from us, Natalie Franco. Hey, guys. And Chelsea Fry to my right. Fun facts with Chelsea. Fun fact. A sheep, a duck, and a rooster. All walk into a barn. (laughs) (laughs) We're the first passengers in a hot air balloon. Really? I didn't learn that. From in that, Wizard in of Oz. 1783, <laughs> the first hot air balloon was launched carrying a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Wow! Do that was we did that with Why? satellites to the moon too. Didn't Why we? did they decide on those three animals though? I don't know. None so of them are human joke? size. I guess. So what? They went from a duck to a human. A sheep. That's a big weight difference. A sheep, a duck, and a what? <laughs> and a rooster. 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 Roosters can fly. Two like, of those, two of those three animals can fly. Why do they need oh, a hot balloon? Ducks can't fly. Ducks yes, they can, can fly. <laughs> Roosters can. Fun fact: Ducks can fly. <laughs> <laughs> Roosters cannot. The best fun facts are the ones that we start just uh, debating up ourselves. Debating. <laughs> So, as was said much earlier, before hot air balloons and barnyard animals. We are going to talk about church planting. And again, we have gone through four episodes talking about the document that's called 10 Practical Steps for Planting New Churches. Now, that is something that we use. I mean, it might sound like, oh, that's boring, just talking about, you know, an article, one article. This is such an awesome article that we have used it in our training for missionaries that are from our region and uh, planting new churches in the cities. It's written by pastor and church planter and missionary Manuel Molina, and he is in Mexico and is awesome. If you would like this at the end of this series, if you're saying, I want that document, send us a note and we'll let you know how you can do that at the end. But for now, I'm going to review very quickly all of these steps. Number one, to effectively plant a church, you need intentional prayer. Two, you need to plan. Three, discover and make new contacts. Like crazy. Step four. <laughs> you didn't say like crazy, but that's what we said. In fact, uh, I believe it was you that said we need to sow seeds recklessly. Oh, that was so good. Okay. Step four, the process of evangelism. And step five, discipleship. Six, the spiritual community referring, remember, to more to sell groups at that point. And then step seven, leadership development. Step eight, corporate worship, and that is step eight. It's not step three or whatever. And so now here we are. Step nine is organizing the church. Full disclosure, in the Church of the Nazarene, we have a way to say, okay, there's been a mission, there have been cell groups, there have been different things, but we're going to organize this church officially. Essentially meaning that there's more of a structure. Some of the the ministries uh, that we're used to, such as NMI, Nazarene Missions International, or Nazarene Youth International. Some of these things are at work. But Chelsea, you were talking last episode about the definition that our general superintendents have given us for a church, and I believe it's biblical. What are the three components of 
a church. Yeah, they just have to be a committed leader at a committed time in a committed place. Okay, so a designated place and time. Yeah. And with a designated leader. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. You don't have to own any I of feel, that. I feel like I want to add more, but... <laughs> that's it. That's it. No building. No. Okay. They, <laughs> nope. can, they can have a building. And and it doesn't even... It doesn't say pastor. Right. It says leader. Right. Okay, we're going to dig and into And it doesn't this. say Sunday morning at 9 a.m. <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. That's but it could fair. be. It could say that. Yeah, it's true. It could be that. That's mm-hmm. awesome. So what are the basic building blocks of a church? I mean, we've talked about that. That's a great definition. And that's really more descriptive of what we already see in Acts, uh, the book of Acts. So what does Pastor Molina say are the basic building blocks of church? That kind of surprised me. <laughs> he like, it's kind of obvious, but it's the people. Like it's the, it's the converts, you know, the new, the new Christians. Those are the, like, we are the church. It's not necessarily these programs or these outreach opportunities or these ministries or even the building. It's the people that it's, that's, that's the church, mm-hmm. which seems kind of obvious, but it's something that we often forget as we're planting a church is that the emphasis really is on the people. It's always on the people. I love this part because I thought how many times have I as a pastor gotten caught up in that program, in that event, in the materials, in the budget, but the essence of church is the people and especially new people coming to know the Lord Mm -hmm. or people growing in their faith with the Lord. He even goes on to, to say, the, the primary focus of the church planter should never change to maintaining the structure that exists now. It should always be the converts. And so it doesn't mean that you don't maintain your work that you've been doing. You don't check in with the people that converted. That's not what he's saying. But it should, it should not be abandoned that you are continually making new converts, that you are continually praying over your city, that you are continually doing the things that you did step one through eight. He does say organization will only be a guide and not a straight jacket for the new work. Ugh, how many of us, were, this is an audio medium, so we're not going to raise our hands. How many of us have felt that as we've been a part of certain churches? Like, whoa, I mean, there are so many like laws that even Jesus didn't stipulate or Moses didn't stipulate, you know, and there are so many policies and so many things that are just like inhibiting the mission. I've been a part of several. that We can't step outside of these rules, quote unquote, or these, this program or else, you know, we're not the church. We can't, we can't step outside of this the way that we've always done things. Otherwise we're not, we're not the church. Thinking of new strategies. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. He says, um, Molina again says, the primary focus of a church planter should be placed on the converts. And even though the structure and organization are not more important, they will help conserve the results. And I think that's the piece um, that often we fail to see 
of we're not saying that a church is not a church when it meets these small requirements, but the organization of a church is going to, uh, I often think of Paul's words when he says, I don't want to work in vain, you know, like God help these results to stay. And all of the time that I put in, whether it was six months or two years or all of the discipleship and leadership training, that organization of the church is going to conserve the results that you've had, where when it kind of stays in this organic, like maybe we are and maybe we aren't and, you know, all of that, it's it, it puts it on the path. And I like how he says that of um, it's the guide. It's yeah. not a straight jacket, yeah. but it still gives us the destination. We know yes. who we want to be and we walk the path of who we are going to be and who we desire to be in every decision that we make. So we have a church board. We place people in missions engagement. We place people in youth engagement. We place Sunday school leaders around us. You know, all of those things, because we say we believe so much mm. in what we're doing as a church. We want to make sure it thrives. We want to make sure that it has a future. Yeah. And he, he even, he says that only apply the minimum structure necessary to ensure the church's healthy function. Don't do more. Don't, don't put somebody in charge of, of napkins. (laughs) (laughs) And you'll never get to use your napkins because somebody's going to be, you can only use one napkin. You can't use three. (laughs) (laughs) So like he's, he's trying to prevent that, that straight jacket feeling by saying, don't, don't overthink it. The church is organic. It is made of people, of living mm-hmm. humans. And so there needs to be this organic element to it. Yeah. He's super practical at the end of this step. And he talks about five suggestions. One of them is super controversial. Maybe I won't start with that one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but he does say uh, one thing that I thought had so much wisdom. You can tell he's been doing this for years. He said, submit yourself to leadership above you and teach the new leaders to work as a team with the different levels of leadership within the denomination. Emily, you and I have wrestled with that one because we are super connected with Mm -hmm. our regional director, with the district superintendent. And like, it's just easy for us to resolve something. Eh, We'll just go to that person and we'll ask, you know, for those materials or we'll just do this. But we've had to kind of stop ourselves and say, wait, we need to teach our church mm-hmm. who, what is this channel or the, these levels of leadership so that when we're not here, they know how to resolve that issue. They know how to get new Sunday school materials. They know, they know how to turn in just a basic report for district assembly or something like that. These are issues that come at step nine when we're organizing a church. I think the, like the base principle of this one is, you know, lead by example, because if you're leading a church, they're always watching you to see how you do things. If, and if you're a good leader, then you, I mean, you, you pass that along to them, but you don't necessarily have to say anything to them. It's just your actions, your, the way you do it will help train them to do it the same way. All this conversation has reminded me like about my church, for example, with my pastor in Paquita, you know them, they have to go to a Congress or they have to go out of the country, for example. We continue the Sunday services. Mm-hmm. We, even though our pastor, Edilio, is the one who preach pretty much every Sunday, he leads someone, he tells someone, hey, can you please, with time, all, all, all the time, mm-hmm. with time, he says, can you please preach this Sunday and we always have everything goes the same way yeah. as he's in there like 
even though he's not in there or Paquita is not in there, we are able to continue the service. Yeah, yeah that's interesting because uh, it's what it reminds me of Eugene Peterson, amazing writer, of course, uh, and pastor who has said there's a ministry of presence. We talk about a lot incarnating ourselves in the community. But he says we don't talk very often about the ministry of absence. So when we just stop, mm-hmm. when we say we're going to go now and now you're in charge, there's something really special and necessary that occurs in, in that time. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to address this uh, controversial suggestion that Manuel Molina tells us. Here's what he says. Maintain a vision to raise up and train volunteer leaders. Totally not controversial. Here's the next part that is. (laughs) Paid leadership has a tendency to slow down the advances of the new church. Mm. I'm glad we're on a podcast, mm. so no one can stone me. Or throw, tomatoes. <laughs> throw tomatoes at me. So your shirt is red, though. Your shirt is. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready for the vitriol that's going to be thrown my way. Paid leadership has a tendency to slow down the advances of the new church. Do we agree with that? I have mixed feelings about this. So I am a hundred percent on board with volunteer pastoring or volunteer leadership. I think bivocational. Leadership is a beautiful thing because it gets the leaders into the community and they're not relying on the church for their for their financial support. And I think you get to see like someone's true passion and motivation for the ministry is actually the people and not the money, because I think the temptation could be if you start paying pastors or leaders that they could fall into the temptation of you know, I'm doing this for the money and not necessarily for the ministry. And so that's one side. The other side is it's really hard to be a bivocational leader or pastor. And sometimes you can't find part enough part-time jobs that give you the flexibility to also lead these people and make money for your family that would allow you to make enough money for your family, I yeah. should say. And so I mean, it is nice. So Chelsea and I were, were volunteer youth pastors and the, we had secular jobs, uh, part-time jobs, very part-time. And we were blessed. We never lacked on, uh, we never missed a uh, rent payment. And I think that was the grace of God, obviously, because <laughs> we made next to nothing in our secular jobs. The church did help us a little bit, but it wasn't enough to supplement, you know, all of our financial needs. Um, and so to me, like if, if the church could, you know, provide some of that financial backing, then that would be a great blessing to the to the leader. But on this on on the same on the other hand, like it brings out the passion of the person if they're not just relying on the church for their financial support. Yeah. I completely agree with AJ. I've heard a lot of time, even in my family. Um, there are people that are not Christian yet. We're still like talking to them and telling them, you know, you should visit one day with us, the church. And they're like, no, there's no way I'm going because then I'm going to give my offering and the pastor is going to take it. So I'm going to, I'm just going to give my money to someone. No, there's no way I'm going to church just because of that. So I I think that's why um, Molina says that, that that's the, reason why maybe the church doesn't grow mm. when mm. we pay the leaders. Maybe it's because maybe. of that. I don't know. 
um, then as he said, like the pastor also need has necessity. It it has so many necessities. He has family. He has so many things to cover. Even you know, even church things. Yeah. So he needs money also to do that. Yeah, I think it could go like totally both ways. But I find myself completely agreeing with what Manuel says here. And like Scott says, I know it's controversial. And every time I would enter a conversation like this, I'd be very careful who I have the conversation with. So now I'm not choosing my audience. So I'm going to choose my words very carefully. But I think you have to have a very deep theology of what God has called his church to, to agree with this. And um, the way I read it is we have over-professionalized pastoral ministry. Mm. And what that means is you are paid and on salary to be a spiritual leader. And so in the church, we would say, well, I'm paid and I spent my time to be a nurse. Mm-hmm. Natalie, you're paid and you spend your time to be an architect. Exactly. Pastor, you're paid and you spend your time to spiritually lead. Mm-hmm. But mm. my job as a part of the church is to spiritually lead. Mm. Even as a lay person. Even as a lay person. Mm -hmm. And so I would say that I do agree with what he says of when we as a church start to say, well, we pay people. We want a good youth program. So we're going to pay somebody to go reach the youth in our community. That's my job. My job is to reach the youth in my community, to have good testimony, to disciple them, not necessarily pay. But when I have that, like, excuse to lean back on, you know, and Hebrews calls it the royal priesthood of believers. And I have a very deep theology of we are all in the priesthood. It's not just one person's direct. There is a a gifting of pastoral leadership and the Bible speaks to the gifting of pastoral leadership. But, um, Man, I think we have to be super, super careful when when it's like only the person receiving money is the one that does spiritual work here. And I can see how the church will Ooh. stop growing yeah. if only the person receiving money does spiritual work. And yeah. I think that's what he's getting at. All right. The, I was thinking about what AJ was saying. And also, if you take the person that is bivocational at least, like maybe receiving from both, but primarily the person that is working only for financial gains outside of the church, but maybe leading. It makes them so much more relatable to be what you're saying, Emily. Mm-hmm. This it, this example of how to be a spiritual leader at the same time working a full-time job. And then it brings into this whole thing of, are we called to be Christians in our occupations as well mm-hmm. as our free time? Like. We have this big divide yeah. in in Christian culture of, well, I'm at work, so I don't need to talk about God. Mm-hmm. But if you have the mentality that, like, this provides my finances, but I'm always a Christian, mm-hmm. then I can share the gospel with my coworkers. Then I can share the joy and the peace and the goodness of Christ in my workplace and bring that into the church. Instead of bringing the church to those people, bring those people to the church. Like. Mm-hmm pull them in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've preached, Emily knows, we've been in different countries and I've preached a sermon on discipleship. And at the end, I feel like people are with me. They're saying amen. Everyone's getting excited. Discipleship is important. Investing in people is important. And at the end, I say, so now I just want to know who would be willing to invest one hour a week 
with some somebody new, some a new convert, somebody that's just coming to know the Lord? Who would be willing to do that? That's really the bu- basic building block of discipleship. Let's just invest in other people. And it, raise your hand if you're willing. There's nobody. <laughs> I'm like, maybe it's my Spanish, you know? Maybe it's maybe I'm not saying it the right way. Let me say it a different way. Who and so. And there's nobody, I mean, in multiple places, I can't blame one country. I can't blame. And to me, that shouts of, well, we have a pastor that's supposed to do that. Mm-hmm. And clearly there's no growth because we all view ourselves as attenders and mm-hmm. not as disciples. Mm-hmm. Or if we, we think of discipleship as I'm a disciple, but that doesn't include me discipling others. That includes me just following and kind of knowing some things and, and attending again. So uh, I, I see this point. I mean, we need to be careful about it, but I, I see what he's saying. And this is a person that has walked through this, mm-hmm. you know, we need to move to step 10. Uh, that was step nine. That's awesome. And step 10 is just look to the harvest fields. I love that. I mean, he finishes it all out and you think, oh, we've got an organized church. We're doing great. But he says, oh, no, the last step. You're not done yet. Yeah. The last step is to constantly look outward, to keep the vision of what he says is new works. I love that he uses Acts 13 of sending out leaders, which we've talked about in a previous episode, Paul and Barnabas being sent out from the church in Antioch. And that was really their evidence that they had become truly a missional church. A couple things that, that you'd like to point out with regards to this? Well, actually, a very important thing is never stop doing things that produces growth. For example, we first start by praying, we planned, we find and made, uh, we made contests, we did evangelism, we made disciples, developed leadership, and we actually, we were working on the organization so we cannot stop in that we have to keep doing evangelism we have to keep praying and keep doing this Mm -hmm. so it can continue growing Mm -hmm. you never stop doing those first steps like you always keep it's like this full circle like you you start at step one and you go through step nine and then step 10 is start again at step one and just keep going yeah. So that includes even planting new churches. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. Yeah. Why not? You know Why what? Not? <laughs> you know what though? Like it's amazing in the church that we're that we've planted, even the new Christians, like Emily especially, even more than I would, would constantly be saying before we had a building, she would be saying, "Where are we going to plant the next church?" And there would be glassy stairs, like uh-huh. look, people at like, what are you talking about? We're barely a church ourselves, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, they felt like, and these are not people that have been in, in church for so long, but they just felt like, no, we'll be a real church when we have our building, you know? And I'm like, we'll be a real church when we plant another church, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I love that Manuel Molina says, oh no, we can't, um, wh- what does he mention? He says, we sometimes don't know the difference between koinonia, like the fellowship, and koinonitis or koinonitis, I guess we would say in, in English, which is just basically like all of us focused on each other. In a previous episode, Chelsea, mm-hmm. you talked about a cell group, a cell group even that's like, eh, the eight of us, we pretty much are best friends and we don't want anyone else to come in. Mm-hmm. So what are some other examples of how this can look great? 
instead of just terrible. <laughs> We've, I've shared some stuff that I would like to change, but are there any good examples uh, of churches that have grown and then said, it's time, let's go plant? Well, we actually um, are in an interesting point in our personal life, Scott and I, uh, because our church in the United States, the pastor, our home church pastor has recently passed away. And um, his vision of the home church that we're a part of was to become a legacy church. And he wanted to have all of these fingerprints all over the county name is Johnson County. And um, so he was doing everything possible to make sure that more leaders were empowered. And he continued to be the senior pastor of the Antioch congregation right there in Overland Park. But he constantly, with their board, they would talk about, so who's the next leader that's going to go out and plant? And he had this vision of 10 churches in 10 years. And he was like on path to do that. And it's a church that had celebrated its 70th anniversary. So it's not like a brand new church, you know, but it was, it's encouraging to see the type of legacy that is being left in that. Um, And I think sometimes even as a senior pastor, you can get so caught up in uh, consolidating the church of making sure that you are a good pastor, making sure that the programs are working for the children, making sure that you're the compassionate church that you wanted to be in. And all of that stuff is important. And I think Molina would say that's all very important stuff, but don't get so caught up in administration that you forget that your primary task as the church is life transformation. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think evangelism is the thing that helps you remember that Mm -hmm. when you encounter the person that has never known life with Jesus Christ and is like, what? You are telling me something that I've never even heard potentially, or I've heard, but now is the time when I'm going to say yes. Like that's addicting. I can tell you staffing a nursery is not addicting, (laughs) but (laughs) hearing people say, I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. That's what keeps you in ministry. That's Mm -hmm. what keeps you fresh. That's what keeps you the call very alive and present. And I think church members, but especially pastors and church planters constantly need to have that touch with reality. That is so good. And I think that's a good last word for us. It's been a long series. I know we've been doing this over two months, really. And we're all going to be church planters now. (laughs) Well, we kind of all are involved in that in different ways. And so, yeah, these 10 steps, super practical, come from experience. We wanted to pass them on to everyone who's listening to us. Maybe you're sensing that you would like to plant churches. Maybe you're sensing that you'd like to know more, or at least continue the conversation. Maybe you're mad at us from the controversial things that we've said during this episode. <laughs> Talk to Scott. <laughs> yes, yes. Scott Armstrong, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, honestly, there are ways to contact us. Emily, what would be some of those? Yeah, find us on our website at mesoamericagenesis.org. You can also connect with us um, via our social media, which in general is Facebook page, uh, Worthless Servants Podcast. Cool. That's awesome. So we will talk with you next time. I promise you the topic will not be church planting, Uh, (laughs) but maybe even in the future, we believe in it enough that several episodes from now we might come back. But we are the Worthless Servants, and I'm Scott Armstrong. I'm AJ Fry. I'm Emily Armstrong. I'm Natalie Franco. And I'm Chelsea Bray. And we will talk with you next time. For more information, visit us on Facebook or at MesoAmericaGenesis.org.